There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Adversity, you know, we can use it to fuel us and use mm. it to learn from. And if my life had have all been smooth sailing, then I wouldn't be in the uh, very doubtful, inc- you know, <laughs> 100% doubtful. <clears throat> I would be in the position I'm in now to have a platform and a voice to share because mm. I wouldn't have any lived and learned experiences and yep. I wouldn't have had the hardship. So I wouldn't have been able to push myself forward as far as I have, I think, you know because where's the tenacity and the resilience and the grit and the need to keep going? I'm your host, Natalie Dronovac, and this is The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. For today's episode, I had the pleasure to sit down with Lisa Messenger, the game-changing founder and CEO of Collective Hub. Lisa is the embodiment of the known truth that success is rarely a linear path, that it is not without its ups, its downs, and its absolute rock bottoms. As Lisa shares throughout this episode, and perhaps for those who don't already know her, she has achieved a remarkable career. She's a best-selling author and an authority on disruption in both the corporate sector and the startup scene. And the best bit is, she's continuing to thrive. Lisa gets honest about the impact success and failure has had on her, and how it certainly helped shape her, and particularly with respect to becoming resilient and the power of always remaining optimistic. In true Lisa style, she does away with the rapid-fire section of the podcast, but cheekily provides some top Lisa tips to always ensure you're orgasming, ladies. A quote of yours from Risk and Resilience. Break the rules, break your brand, break your own heart. Sometimes you have to shatter stuff to rebuild it stronger. Yeah. Now, I find this quote to be quite powerful, and I'm intrigued to know whether your childhood experience helped form this opinion or whether it was your early career or personal life or a combination of all of the above. Uh, You know, well, risk and resilience, I believe that resilience is a learned muscle, and I have been pushing boundaries and bucking the status quo and doing things my own way for as long as I can remember. And I think the thing is, and this is very good for everyone listening, like, you know, we push, the more you push yourself and the more you get comfortable being uncomfortable, the more we're able to, you know, really challenge ourselves and go further and further and further. And so I guess my whole life I've been doing that to an extent and we can talk much more about my childhood and all the therapy I've done, all that kind of thing and how I've landed where I've landed. But that quote is particularly, or was particularly pertinent um, in 2018 because in 2013 I really truly stepped into my purpose for the first time in my life like unquestionably in every single cell in my body and that was to launch Collective Hub which was a print magazine and that was extraordinarily courageous at a time people were saying print was dead or dying I entered a highly saturated market like five and a half thousand print magazines I'd never worked for a magazine or in media and so and it was extraordinary because Um, my purpose was and is to ignite human potential um, and to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. Um, Because I knew my why so clearly, um, the how just kind of took care of itself, if that makes sense. Like the synchronicity and the serendipity and what happened as a result was extraordinary. And that print magazine, my little baby was in 37 countries within 18 months and it grew to be, you know, extraordinarily large. But that quote then comes in because the second most courageous thing I did was then have the courage almost six years later to break the entire thing and you know that was almost the thing that I loved more than anything and I'm so proud of but I think in life um, you know if we truly feel into our purpose and know what it is that we want to do and we're no longer able to 
be the best version of ourselves. Um, and in my case, I, I got to a point where I was hemorrhaging cash. I felt like I was in survival mode every day. Um, essentially, I'm a creative and a visionary and I just, I love moving forward and I love making an impact on the world. But when something becomes purely uh, operational and, you know, every day it's about we need more money <laughs> and, you know, that wasn't a fun place to be. And so um, many people, you know, their entire identity becomes wrapped up in a particular thing and so they keep going forward. And for me, I was like, you know, I'm bigger than this or it's bigger than me and, you know, I removed my ego and just decided I'm prepared to take a hit and and all I knew within me was I just need to break it. I need to cut the guts out of this because if I'm truly going to, you know, step back into my purpose and live truly, then I need to be courageous enough to do it. So, yeah, I mean, we could go through many, many examples of how I've done that at various times in my life, both personally and business-wise. There are so many, but maybe we can dig more into that. You can go for gold. There is nothing off limits. <laughs> I've made many courageous changes and really got to know myself and my triggers and how I can best serve over the years. So, yeah. So growing up, have you always been like this? Um, so how I would answer that is this, I think for me, and I would urge people just to listen to the similarities, not the differences, because my story is my story, other people's is theirs. But, um, I think I've always been sort of this insane optimist who wanted to like really make a mark on the world. And I look back at some of my writings and musings from when I was like eight and there was signs of it there. But the thing about it is... I had no emotional intelligence at all until I was probably 30. <laughs> so so what's interesting about that, and I think this has been one of the hugest lessons in my life, is when you have this insane um, yearning inside you, you can either, it can come out in two ways. And for me, definitely through my 20s and my teen years, it came out absolutely sideways. Like, um, I was squashing it down, self-sabotaging, like drinking too much, alienating my family, kind of keeping myself small and finding ways to self-sabotage because I didn't know how to let that kind of fly. So would you say that you were feeling one thing and then acting in a completely parallel? Yeah, because I didn't have a lot of role models and you know, growing up, there was, I didn't know what a mentor was. I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have many role models. I didn't, I didn't know how to step into my purpose. I didn't even probably know the word purpose, purpose. existed. <laughs> <laughs> and so I led life according to other people's expectations for years and years and years. And because I had this latent yearning and desire inside me, but I didn't know what that was, I kind of turned to alcohol and other things as crutches. Um, yeah, and kept myself small. And that is a horrible place to be. And um, so in 2004, 8th of November 2004, I made a very conscious decision to give up drinking. And um, so, yeah, it's nearly 15 years and, and made many, many other changes in my life. And that, I mean, for anyone listening again, I said, listen to the um, similarities, not the differences. What I would urge you to do is um, look at what are you, how are you self-sabotaging or how are you keeping yourself small or, you know, there's many, many ways that that plays out in everyone's lives. And for me, you know, alcohol was one of those things. And as soon as I put that down and actually started the work, because it's not just about putting down the yeah. alcohol, it's like, well, actually, now I need to work out why. It's not going to solve all I of your problems. Party so hard and drink so much. And, and then I really started doing the work and that's when things really, really turned around for me. So, so yeah, so so the long and the short of that is, um, I think it's it's always been inside me. But and and for, and I get so sad because some people die never having realised, you know, that, and they've kept themselves small or not on purpose their entire life because they don't know what that is. So I feel very fortunate that um, in two thousand and four I hit a severe rock bottom, yeah. <laughs> and that was the best thing I could have ever done. In that moment, was that you? experiencing that and someone else also being there for you or did you actually dig yourself out of that no I dug myself out because because you know I was so um I had so much ego and so much and such a lack of self-esteem at the time that I wasn't open to listening to anyone else you know what I mean okay. like everyone can tell you as much as you want you're like you're an asshole or you're drinking too much or whatever you're like I'm having a wonderful time <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but what's wrong with me you know and and that is fascinating I mean I've done years of 
you know, different psychology and different modalities all over the world from sweat lodges in Costa Rica to Osho meditation in India to you know, like you name it, I've done it. And I love that because I love um, then bringing all that information together and synthesizing it and integrating it into my everyday Western world. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, yeah, so I've gone off on a tangent. But yeah, th at the time, I think, um, you know, the triggers, anything where we're wounded, it's the automatic reaction is, you know, to lash out and fight. So if someone says at the time, hey, I think you need some help, well, you're going to be, well, I was like, are you serious? Like, I'm perfect. You know, I couldn't see it. So yeah, I had yeah. to hit a rock bottom on my own and I had to get the help myself. And I think in my experience, for myself and having watched others, you know, go through whatever existential crisis they go through, I think we're the ones who have to ultimately decide to do the work. Yeah, I completely would agree with that. You mm. very much often see people who are happy in their mess and those who kind of want to change the mess that's around them. Yeah, and and it's – I mean, we could talk – I need to like flip it and interview you, but I think, um, yeah, I think – yeah, are they happy in the mess? I mean – um, naivety can be a great thing or a, a yeah. curse. Can't Ignorance it? is not bliss. <laughs> Ignorance is yeah. not bliss. And, and it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of soul searching and a lot of pain to, you know, get out the other side. So you've got to be able to buckle in. But my gosh, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah, I would completely agree with that. I've done some weird experiences from the certain kinds of acting courses I did and then the other kind of personal development. Yeah. Um, weird weird ritualistic style things that they go through and it helps you purge I find but also helps you connect and be like oh I'm really comfortable being within myself and by myself yeah therefore I also love having those around me who are the right fit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that is a beautiful thing I think as well because and you might have experienced this you know then you start making conscious choices about the people that you want in your life Absolutely. and sometimes you have to break up with friends and you know and that's when you're not ready for that. That can seem extraordinarily confronting, but actually the power of no and exiting certain relationships is extraordinarily powerful and it lets you or lets me breathe and step into who I truly need to be. You know, when you say you hit rock bottom, would you say you also felt a real instinctual change? Like you strike me as someone who follows their instincts and yeah. whatever that means for each person. But would like, I find rock bottom can be a, a term that we use. Yeah, yeah. But in, when you experienced it, was it I hit rock bottom or was it you were going through something and you were like, I better change now? Do you know, I don't think I had the personal insight or the, or the emotional intelligence at the time to realize that. I just yeah. knew that I was in a really scary place and, um, and if I didn't make a change, you know, it wasn't going to be very pretty. So... Um, yeah, I'd love to say at the time, see now it's different because now I've done so much work on myself across so many different modalities. And so the beautiful thing and the difference now is that if I hit a mini rock bottom, um, you have the tools, it's never bad really, because I always can see beyond it. And I also know, ah, being able to feel pain or being able to sit with something is actually great. And this too shall pass. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So it's like, it's very different now. And I think, yeah, once you have the tools and you know what to do with it and you also know, and I think that's a really important message that it's okay to sit with it. It's okay to feel pain or grief or loss or sorrow or a number of other emotions that we feel. And we don't need to shift it and move through it really quickly and we don't need to get busy you know people go oh I'm in so much pain I'm just gonna work or I'm just gonna da, 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 da. you know busyness well, that's why people don't like meditation it. too they don't <laughs> like to just sit with sit yourself with thoughts yeah. yeah and I mean that is sometimes it is painful of course you know especially for a-type personalities overachievers people who've been through lots of stuff I mean I think again Many of the geniuses in the world, you know, have very, very dark sides as well. You know, it's that duality. And so it's learning to actually shine. I used to, I remember when I went to school and a lot of my friends went off and like married cotton farmers early and I went to boarding school and, you know, by 20 they were married off and they seemed to be living this really simple life and it just seemed to go along on one even keel. And I used to think, Wow, you know, because my life was so like this massive roller coaster until yeah. I learned to kind of um, work with that. But then I was like, I'm so grateful that I do have that duality within me because when managed, you know, that's where the brilliance and the creativity and the anything's possible and let's freaking change this world. And, you know, that's where that comes from because I have that dark within me and recognize that, I think. But it's about 
really learning to embrace that rather than step into the darkness. You know, I really like that you shared that because a large part, a large portion of when I was doing my research and I followed your work over the years and I was thinking around how you are a very optimistic and positive person. And now for me, I would say I've, My my father once told me I have a very happy disposition. But again, I think it's because I've looked at the aspects of myself where I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. And so I was curious about if you had gone through that. So it is great to, not great to hear, but it is interesting to learn those parts of yourself and that you sit where you are now because you were in such a place in your previous life. (sighs) My entire body just got shivers. Thank you for recognizing that because, and I think that's so important. Oh, I want to give you a hug right now because so many people say to me as well, oh, but you're always happy. You're always full of joy. You're always optimistic. Yeah. You're always positive. And I am, but that's a, um, it's a very conscious choice. And it's because I have experienced and have mm. had so much darkness and things that I've struggled with. And I believe truly 100% any one of us can choose either side because every single day things come at us that are beyond our control every single day you know stuff comes at me that I could choose to be like pity party victim oh my god this is a nightmare you know every single day or I can choose to like mindset flip and go hmm that's kind of funny or that's a lesson or what can I do with that and so I really don't believe that you know, any of us needs to sit in that pain point all the time because let me tell you, I have a thousand reasons to sit there. (laughs) Like I really do and any of us do but I just consciously choose. Um, You know, you see it all the time. I see people on social media, they have big rants like all, you know, those ranters all the time. Oh, when they use it as their therapy. This to this, you know. And trust me, inside me instinctually sometimes I would like to, you know, I've got quite a big following. I'd like to be like, well, I'm going to fuck you. Excuse me. I'm gonna go into the world with, but yeah. it's like a fleeting thought. And then I'm like, why? Like, just, what's the purpose? Just that get it'll on serve? with life. And for that, I am so much happier because it's like Teflon. Things come, and I go, ah, okay, I see you. That was painful. Let it slide. Whereas if I engage with it, it doesn't serve anyone. Like my energy is suddenly sucked into that vortex of whatever negativity is going on. And then, you know, you're in, my entire energy will change and suddenly it spirals and you get angrier and angrier and there's resentment and jealousy and rage yeah. and all that stuff. Or I can go, hmm, that hurt. Didn't see yeah. that coming. Well, that was funny. What's the lesson? I certainly think that, <laughs> that there's a real process to get to that point because my other, my other thoughts around positivity is that there are some people who are really, really positive and they're also really really full of shit yes and you can feel it within them that their actual disposition is unhappy but they're not willing to yet acknowledge it understand it confront it yeah so a really quick exercise i think for anyone listening is just to and this is something just to keep people a bit conscious is when someone says to you how are you doing you know we all go good great yeah great like actually i would just um ask people to just pause for a minute and go how am I doing? Practice it on a, you know, the mm-hmm. person at the counter in a shop. Actually, not so. I mean, they're not going to want to hear it, but it's not really about them. They ask the question. It's like, actually, you know what? Not so great. I feel pretty shitty today. Like, just try and be a bit more honest and not provide the answer that, that the world wants, wants to, hear. to hear, or you think the world wants to hear. And that just a simple thing like that is like it'll start you to start to check in with yourself and go, actually. Not so great. Or I, f- I find that that's also the same thing that happens sometimes with friends though. Like in most relationships, you will do the like, I'm great, it's cool, I'm, you know, it's fine. But then you find those friendships in your life where you're actually happy to be like, this is what's going on. Yeah. But do you think that that comes from a place where we have a tendency to not express our vulnerability? Because you don't want to be judged and all those other... Yeah, and and it depends on the situation and also um, it depends how you frame the openness to, um, you know, what you want the person to say. So sometimes I'll say something like, you know, um, I'm, I'd love your feedback but this is – that I put some parameters around it <laughs> because otherwise, you know, you can just get someone else's judgments or their predisposed ideas coming, you know, and all sorts of other stuff which you can take on. So sometimes I find if I'm in a very vulnerable place and I really need to feel – 
you know, in a safe space where I can express myself. I don't want someone else's barrage of judgments. There'll be other times when I'm like, okay, just be really honest with me. Like, I just need you to tell me. I think, <laughs> I think who you seek feedback from yeah. has become a huge learning curve in my life. Yeah, I think it's extraordinarily important because yeah. I think we need to remember that we we are all individuals and we all have different things going on at different times and um and the person that you're expressing will have their own set of things going on and so sometimes yeah if we're asking um it may be that suddenly even if they're um very well processed as i like to call it mm. they a judgment may be triggered for them or a feeling of inadequacy or you know lack of self-worth or whatever yeah. it is may be triggered for them and therefore their response to you might not be true and it might you know impact you in a different way so where is it coming from within them and that projection yeah and so sometimes it's it's okay to pre-frame something I think when you ask for feedback isn't it and sort of say this is how I'm feeling like can you just try and remove this is the feedback Uh, I'm looking for right now (laughs) when someone tells me they listen to my podcast I always say all well-intended feedback is I'm very happy to take it yeah. As opposed to just being like, feedback is welcome. Mm, well intended. Otherwise, there's no spite. Like, there's, yeah. no re- there's no space for spite. No. And, and you know, I would say the majority of the time, if someone said something like, you know, it may be that actually they think your podcast is great, but they feel like I've been wanting to do a podcast for five years and I haven't managed yeah. to do it. So then you'll hear something like this. Uh, it's good, but actually I think, you know, it's a bit long or uh, yeah. you could have asked that. And actually that's not true at all. That's just their truth in the moment for yeah. them because of their reaction. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about this is um, – I love human psychology and I think the more you kind of start to play with it and you start to see what's going on, the more things do just kind of flow because you don't – it sounds like you've done a lot of work. I really – no, I really enjoy it and I – the the biggest thing that I learned was when I was doing acting, with any character you have to find the empathy within them. So everyone will always use the example of Hitler and you have to find where in him did he think what he did was okay yeah so the way I now take things when people are acting in any manner towards me is I let's say someone's being a bitch yeah instead of just saying they're a bitch I say what in their life makes them think that the behavior that they're doing is okay like that's what that's where that's where I now find the intrigue and that for me is where all of a sudden you can have a bit more understanding versus all of a sudden gathering with a group of friends and you know hounding down back on that person because they said something that made you rage, like the, uh, that made you experience rage. And I love that. And I think that is so extraordinarily powerful because that's the thing, really. You can look at any human in the world and, you know, atrocities or whatever, you know, from the tiny to the grand. <laughs> and you kind of go, well, where does that come from? And mostly mm-hmm. it's from a, you know, some childhood trauma that they've experienced where they don't feel good enough or whatever. And so then their ego plays out and it comes out sideways and they don't know how to handle it. So they just kind of beat their chest even more and, and yeah, play it out in horrendous ways. But actually it's just their, you mm. know, inner child pain. And if you gave them a bit of a hug, they'd probably be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> even Hitler, maybe. I mean, that's <laughs> No, but it's just, it's just those little nuances that you're like, everyone in the world I think is always doing what they believe is the best thing. Mm. And that's the nuance to understand. And then it's like, why do I think this and they think that? Why? And the reason why I always say that my opinion is not better than anyone else's is because then you can't turn around and tell me what I'm thinking is wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you can have your individual thought, <coughs> I can have mine, and then therefore neither of us incorrect. We're just living our lived experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Powerful. So this morning when I was uh, pre just going over everything, there was something that just wasn't clicking, wasn't clicking, and then I shared it with my wife. You strike me as a woman who may have been beaten, but you won't ever get beat. Would you say this is true? Oh, yeah. But how would – so tell me, talk me through what wasn't clicking. I don't know. I was just kind of going through everything and like I was sharing the optimism, the positivity, the way you express and um, write things and just something was – I was like, this, there's got to be a lesson here. There's got to be something. And that's why earlier when you were sharing the the, the dark days yeah, yeah. that you'd gone through, I was like, see, this is, this is, this is the bit that – I wasn't reading, I guess you could say. Ah. But I know that everyone who has heights of positivity and optimism has gone through that. Yeah. And I couldn't find it. And then it was just, I was trying to understand it. And then as we go into the other aspects that I want to talk to you about, that's what it kind of encapsulated. And that's how it made sense. for me. That's how you started to make sense for me. Because I feel like everything you share, it always will have a, a tilt 
of of optimism at the end. Like this went on, but then this. Yeah, and so, you reframe things. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so that's um, well, yeah. So two things on that. I think one is until we've lived something and experienced it, like it's hard to actually, you know. I think what I have learned, and again, it's a bit of a cliche, but adversity you know, we can use it to fuel us and use mm. it to learn from. And if my life had all been smooth sailing, then I wouldn't be in the uh, very doubtful, inc- you know, <laughs> 100% doubtful. <clears throat> I would be in the position I'm in now to have a platform and a voice to share because mm. I wouldn't have any lived and learned experiences and yep. I wouldn't have had the hardship. So I wouldn't have been able to push myself forward as far as I have, I think, you know, because where's the tenacity and the resilience and the grit and the need to keep going? But even through all the things you've gone through, what I love is that you don't let it beat you. You're just like, this is a moment. Let me reframe it. Let me re-strategize. And then you keep moving forward. Yes. Whereas a lot of people, mm. and for whatever reasons, do get beaten. Yeah. And that's the difference that I kind of was like, that's how, uh. I, that's how, <laughs> that's how I feel. I mean, would you say that's true? I, f- I think that's yeah. quite a compliment. Thank you. I think it's a massive compliment. Thank you. And my partner said to me um, recently, because, you know, um, 8th of eighth uh, of April 2018, so last year I closed the door of my office, my physical office, after 16 and a half years at the time. And I was like, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm very adaptable and resilient. And a lot of people, their entire identity would have been wrapped up in, you know, a big global magazine in 37 countries and amazing, 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 lots of ego and, you know. And um, I just kind of moved on and I was like, okay, that was painful and, you know, wrote Risk and Resilience (laughs) about that. But then I was like, okay, let's go. You know, what's the thing? What am I here to do? And what helps with that now is being very clear on my purpose. So it's like – and also having – achieved some I'm doing inverted comma fingers here people but success um it's like I know I felt it so I knew I can go there again mm. but I couldn't do it when I was hemorrhaging cash and in survival mode so I was like be courageous enough to break it all and rebuild you know and so yeah I mean I've had I've had a lot of stuff come at me in life now um but yeah I ha- I will never be beaten I have bounced forward from everything so far so yeah, I believe I can do that for pretty much anything now. Yeah, I love mm. that. Um, so moving towards women and writing, with all the change that's occurring for women, you know, in America being the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, I'm curious to know firstly, do you identify as a feminist and have these movements movements and changes impacted you, your business, or maybe pe- perhaps just the women around you? Have you seen change in women, yourself? Not myself, but yes, around me definitely, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I say not myself, not to be arrogant or egotistical, but I have um, always been of the view that um, I'm equal regardless of being a woman. I started my first business on the 22nd of October 2001, so coming up to 18 years ago, and not once in all of that time have I felt less than for being a woman. Not once, never, ever, ever in any situation, anywhere in the world, in the biggest boardrooms with the biggest men, whoever. I've never felt less than. So my question is this. I understand that many people have um, experienced, you know, grotesque atrocities and, you know, horrible situations um, where men are involved. And I have empathy towards that. The only thing I would say, and it it comes a little back to our former conversation, is really feel into, is this, um, you know, and there are very different situations. So, you know, obviously some of them, it's very obvious that things are happening. But always question, am I using being a woman as an excuse? Am I using it as a way to self-sabotage or keep myself small or as an excuse? Or is it true in my circumstance that being a woman is in fact holding me back? Um, Because I think again, a lot of it comes down to mindset. You know, it's like if you truly believe in every single cell in your body that you are worthy and that you are equal and that you deserve as much as anyone else on this planet, then really there should be nothing that stands in your way. You know what I mean? Like I think, and if something does stand in your way, then be courageous enough to speak up as these fabulous women have with the Me Too movement and, you know, many other things. What about for those women? Like I think it's wonderful that you've never experienced it and 
funnily enough, part of this podcast and why uh, it was created was when I was sharing with my wife. She'd say something and I'd be like, what do you mean by that? That's I have never experienced that. And she's yeah, like, yeah. you may not have, but statistically most women have. And so that's why as I wanted to uncover, the reason it's called The Modern Women is more the idea of what is it to be a modern woman today because so many of us are having different experiences yeah. whilst all being encapsulated under this broad band of we're yeah. modern women. Um, yeah. And so for those women who are going through those moments or are in jobs where there is gender inequality, what would you say or could you share any insights into perhaps how to either shake that mentality or to, you know, uh, strive forward? Yeah, because it, it, I mean, it's such a, um, from my perspective, it's such a, it's such a controversial and, you know, deep-rooted topic that, you know, could be and is being talked about on every platform, which is wonderful. Um, and I would just say, you know, um, take into account the things that are within our control and the things that are within our control first and foremost are mindset and so I would say potentially I've never experienced anything in 18 years because I have a very resilient um, very strong-willed mindset about being you know strong powerful grounded you know equal um, you know I've got all of that so innately um deep-rooted in my DNA that I would say I have the ability um, to shield a lot of it, you know what I mean? Mm. Or that people come at me and um, this, this is not going to happen because… Yeah, you have that <laughs> backbone to be like, uh-uh, you're not going to talk I'll to me I'll give you like a different example quickly and then we'll deal with the actual things that are happening out there. But um, before I decided to give up drinking <coughs> on the 8th of November 2004, um, I used to try and give up drinking but not really you know what I mean so I'd go out and I'd say to people no no I'm not drinking tonight and mostly people would say oh come on have a drink because in myself I didn't believe that I was truly giving up drinking the day I consciously made the decision 8th of November 2004 from that day on not once this is interesting nearly 15 years in no one ever has said come on have a drink not once so the mindset shift and the resilience within me to make that very, very conscious decision on that day. It makes me so emotional because I find it fascinating that it's almost like I put this shield up that day and I was like, I do not drink and I believed it so resolutely in every single cell in my body that no once has the universe presented me with a situation where someone has tried to push me into it. Yeah. And so I wonder, because I've also had this belief always that I just do what I do and it's regardless of my gender, I just do what I do and I believe in myself um, unwaveringly in every single cell in my body, like I'm so confident and self-assured now that I just wonder if that is, has also had the same effect in terms of well, of course I'm going to sit on a board or of course I'm going to be a CEO or of course I'm going to speak in front of 10,000 people. Like whatever it is, no one has ever, not once questioned it. So that's just something to think about. Now, the other side of it is, of course, that there are dickhead assholes out there <laughs> who are you know, haven't done any work on themselves, they're egotistical pigs, blah, 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 and we are confronted by them. And, you know, that is a real situation for some people. It hasn't been my experience. Mm. So I just urge people to go, okay, what? Yes, there are situations going on that are beyond our control, but what can we control? I think that's the piece we all need to start with. I remember, um, I think it's because of the way, like my mother is a very strong woman, but also with my father, he's a, he's, he, I, I, I use the analogy. Um, I grew up with a mother who mowed the lawn and a father who did the dishes <laughs> in the sense that I never really had gender roles growing up, which is why I think as I was becoming, uh, aware and challenged by these notions of women being less than I was yeah. so like gobsmacked. And I remember I was working in hospitality and I had this one chef who for his own, on his own, uh, mistake he just screamed at me and spoke to me in oh. such a distasteful way that I remember being like no problems came in the next day put in my resignation and then when the actual boss found out all of a sudden the chef came up and had to apologize to me and all the rest of it but I was like I'm not going to sit here in this environment and have you speak to me like that and think that any of that is all right so you took control yeah, yeah. of what you could absolutely and I think that that has I think that has been a part of not only have I done the work similar to yourself, but also growing up in an environment where I was never as a woman 
and I think in our best first role models being our parents ever made me aware that there was anything different. Yeah. So I think that played a part in my life for sure. And then I think all of the like work I did as I got older for some reason, as I dove down that, it became that kind of, uh, yeah, it's just built a resilience in me. So I do seek and understand similarities in what you're sharing too. Yeah. And, and like, again, everyone's experience is their experience. I would just yeah, urge people as you've done to just look at what can we control and how can mm. we build up our own inner bank of resilience so that whatever comes at us beyond our control um, or otherwise, we have the tools to actually deal yeah. with it. Because as well, I think it's like anything, right? Um, it Once we start letting something control us, alcohol, I'm a woman, whatever other thing, <laughs> then that can become our entire predisposition that's what we're focused on Mm. all the time and I'd rather personally focus on what can I control and how can I move forward in a positive way Um, and of course you know have empathy and do my part in the world to say you are strong and you can be confident and you shouldn't be less than ever and we all are equal but I just personally choose not to spend too much time in the pity party side of it. (laughs) Did you ever find working with so many women for Collective Hub that there was ever any difference when it was just women or when if a man was around or it was always... No, it's always been... Yeah. But, I mean, I think... Yeah, you know, I really really try and understand because I I do know that it is a lot of people's... um, You know, it is their reality and their situation. And so I really try and understand, but it's really, I've never been in it. So yeah, maybe someone, here, here's a challenge. Someone invite me to your workplace where your boss is an (laughs) arsehole and he is a man and I will come and live it for myself. (laughs) No, it's true. Like even when I, even when you are on your social platforms and instead of just looking at your posts, I look at what people respond to you with. Yeah. And I do think I, well, at least I feel like a lot of women would follow you and are inspired by you because they seek to have the qualities that you are demonstrating. Yeah. And thank like you. That, yeah. Like that's, that's not even in any, um, it's not even like any kind of egotistical booth. I think it's just the truth of the reality. Yeah. Thanks. I think, um, I really truly believe that, um, everything starts with mindset, you know, and the stronger we can get. And the duality of that is like I, you know, if we want to talk about femininity as opposed to feminism, it's like I love, you know, being strong and grounded and fierce and, you know, all that stuff. But on the other side, I love, you know, being, you know, girly and nurturing. And, you know, I think that you can have both for sure. Femininity is really important. And let's not lose that. You know, I think it's a really beautiful, nurturing, gorgeous goddess quality. And I think the beauty is finding that duality between the masculine and the feminine because we all have both of those in us, whether we're a man or a woman, and it's being able to pendulate between the two and work out, you know, appropriate situations. I know if I come home and I'm still wearing my work mask and I'm like, I am like tough and fierce, my boyfriend is like, you, <laughs> because it's not attractive. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have really robust, you know, change the world gritty conversations but I am 100% in my masculine with him when we're both in that chest beating let's grrr, that adrenaline pumping thing and sometimes I just want to melt into my femininity you know and be held and hugged and nurtured and like just let it all wash away so I and it took me a long time to learn that and if I go back to my 20s again I mean I had that all wrong and I <laughs> I couldn't work out why really I couldn't attract a partner it's because I was always <laughs> in my masculine I was always like grr and I remember women who would work for me they'd be like getting all these fabulous men and I was in my ego still going but I'm the business owner and I am amazing and I was like of course that's not attractive but like, I fu- but I would I would guess that also your partner is very confident within himself yeah like I, I, I do see that those who are strong women and with men who support them, yeah. not diminish them, that they are centered within who they are and they don't need to be the beating strong man who has yeah. to put her in her place. Yeah, but he's also great because he'll, um, he'll call me on it when I'm being like too grrr. <laughs> he's like, that's not attractive right <laughs> And so I get that and I think that's the beauty in 
you know, finding our places in the world and, you know, and not when a guy goes, oh, that's not attractive right now, like turning around and going, well, you're an asshole because I, it's like, okay, yeah, that wasn't that attractive right yeah. now in this bedroom situation. Like, that, is, <laughs> that might be good in the living room when we're having a big world change conversation. Everyone's that like, right my, now. everyone's like, my mind is where, what is going on in your bedroom? Sorry. I love that. So I want to jump into your writing. Um, it's like left tilt, you know. I'm sorry. Let's let's all bask in actually Lisa and her partner in their bedroom. Lisa and her partner in the bedroom. There we it's go. good. Yeah. So that could be a whole other conversation. I did not get I did not get a authority to ask about that. Next go time. For yeah. So I, jumping into your writing. Yeah. What inspired you to write as opposed to just talk through those experiences as many women do? Ah, so now this is funny, and you may know this from my past but at school I did what was called veggie English like how awful is that talk about being a put down it was like veggie English it's for it was like two unit three unit four unit I don't know whatever it was and then there was veggie like the worst of the worst the lowest of the low the people who really couldn't write and they were just like shoved into this like class oh wait it was actually called veggie unit well I mean probably the school didn't call it that but everyone everyone in it. it so I was in veggie English unceremoniously and, um, but you know, I went straight from school and traveled overseas for two years. Cause I just had this yearning, as I said before, I had no idea what that was at the time, but I was like, I just need to go out and explore the world. And I'd never been overseas until I left school. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I'm actually very grateful for. I mm. mean, I went to a private school and a lot of people, we were like one of the, probably the poorest kids in a good school, you know yeah. what I mean? And but we didn't have the money to travel overseas when I was at school. And I used to watch so many people like, oh, they came back from all these glamorous places. And I used to be like, oh, and I am so grateful because I was so untainted, like because I'd never seen it. When I first got on a plane, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, But I started. So did you on a gap year? Yeah, I I went on a gap year to England teaching horse riding. And I started journaling. I wrote Mm. two really big fat journals while I was away and um, I still have them. And I remember I wanted to write a travel book, like how to go on a gap year at the time. You know, again, so many things when you look back, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I didn't realize when I was, what, 18 or something Mm. then, oh, wow, that I would actually step into this. You know, it's this kind of fictitious thought and it, you know, but it's interesting going back and going, gosh, it's all these moments that have led me to where I am. So then through my 20s, I journaled and I would hate, I mean, they're all in a box somewhere, God forbid, if anyone ever found them. I think they're probably the darkest, most horrific writing you could ever imagine because I was such a troubled tw- 20s. <laughs> um, and then I started started writing books 2004. I wrote Happiness Is after I mm. gave up drinking and I went around searching for what is happiness and interviewed people and I self-published that book and it went really well. I sold 36,000 copies when a bestseller was 5,000 and that's a whole other story because really? I um, I pre-sold it and sold it in a whole different way to corporates. Um, kind of with the thinking that corporates are buying so many an- inanimate objects like squeegee balls and mouse mats and golf umbrellas and I was like really and so I sold this book happiness is to them in bulk you know all sorts of deals and that was really the start of my accidental foray into career. publishing and writing and then I just found this love of writing books so I start I've I think I've written something like 24 books no one read the first 18 25 books now maybe mm. um so yeah I I started um I wrote three books on learning to surf because I started I learned to surf and I was like well there's nothing no great book out there so I found like Barton Lynch and Lane Beachley and I got them to like help me with these books and mm. so I've always decided on a topic and then explored stepped it. into it explored it and written so it's been a very cathartic exercise and a way for me to learn Mm. but then also to share with the world and um, I wrote a book called Property Investing the Australian Way when I started investing in property so I've been writing for a long time but it wasn't until I launched Collective Hub in 2013 that I actually charted the first 18 months of that journey with my first book in the series of seven in the last five years Um, yeah about the first 18 months in business and then it just resonated Mm. and yeah kind of 
went off. So. Well, that's what I that that's gen, that is what the theme I find in your books. You can see your book is about what exactly you're learning and experience at the time. Yeah, and two of them. I mean, I'd rather have not lived, but <laughs> <laughs> but I made it my vow to be like, okay, I'm going to write books in real time, and um, I'm going to you know live the lessons and share share the lessons lived and learned I guess so that's what I've been doing so <laughs> do you find that um many men read your books or is it more of like I, I would imagine it's a predominantly female-based audience um, it's about 85 percent female but yeah. there's still like I still have quite a lot of guys come up to me saying oh my god I read your book like it was really good and often it'll be something like this oh my gosh my wife left your book in the toilet and I picked it up while I was sitting there for an hour as they do yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I started reading it and it's really good yeah I find that to be such an interesting thing how women will read from men and women but men seem to have this predisposition to only want to read from other male authors yeah no I think y- you may be Right, but I feel like once guys have read my stuff, they generally resonate. And also a lot of my speaking gigs, more and more um, I'm doing for male audiences. So I love... Because is it more like CEO-style leadership focus? Yeah, no, I never I never talked to... But I talk a lot about disruption, you know, okay. and, um, and entering saturated industries and how you stay relevant and move. So I think a lot of, you know, people are interested in that, particularly in this day and age when... Any um, when any industry is ripe for disruption um, and no one is immune from it. So, yeah, so I do a lot of speaking about that. And I guess, again, coming from a, a lived perspective of, you know, disrupting with the media industry and I'm about to disrupt a whole new industry. <laughs> do you want to dive into that? Can't talk about that yet. <laughs> Hold the press. So uh, speaking about disruption, I find that there was like a phase with social media that became – Everything looked perfect. Yeah. And I kind of have the idea that perfect looking lives are like orgasms. A lot of them are faked and we shouldn't perpetuate that myth oh, perhaps. Do people fake orgasms? See, I just don't get – why would you? I'm way too selfish. <laughs> I had this whole episode where I speak to so many friends because I speak – like if I'm speaking to my mostly um, heterosexual friends, they'll be like, yeah, I faked orgasms or this or that. And then I had two guests on and they both said, no, we don't really and – so many listeners came back to me and were like, what do you mean? I fake orgasms all the time. No. Yeah. Okay. Probably the most important point of this entire podcast. Do not fake it. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> I don't know. Because a lot of them, well, the two guests said that they didn't want to make their um, partners feel bad. Okay. Okay. So probably listen to the last hour of what we've been talking about or whatever, yeah. which is about stepping into your power and owning your truth. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about drinking or being a feminist or being great in business or whatever it is, it comes back to mindset and self-sabotage and keeping yourself small. And the same applies for orgasms. Like I yeah. think, you know, <laughs> I think we, so, no, we I need think to sex step is... into our power and everything. And if you're having to fake, then I would say be courageous enough to have the conversation. I'm not actually being, you know, satisfied and this is what's going to work for me. Like, man, it's like anything in life. Just find your voice, you know. So, okay, now that we're here. <laughs> did not think we were going We did, either did I. But did you have – have you ever been in an experience where – because you see it on – you also see it in movies where literally there'll be like some quick, quick powwow – he comes and then the woman's just like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm here. Like when you go through that experience in life, I'm sure you've at least once had to like be in a moment where a guy has, you know, come too quickly and then you're like, okay, I don't know how to handle this. Or do you just no, like – No, I know how to handle okay. it. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> Excuse me. You are not leaving. Like this rodeo ain't over. <laughs> I love – no, you Speak know what? the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I love it because I find I have so many friends who go through horrible no sexual experiences. on the planet. Here's a red hot tip. You have a rule. You always go first. <laughs> yeah, I actually – I know a woman who she's only ever slept with her husband um, and then they have a certain – I guess equation to how their sex life occurs and it's like she orgasms first and then he gets to. Ah, yeah, well, if yeah. that works, then yeah, figure sure. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I personally think that also um, exploring your, not sexuality, but sex in general as an energy can also lead to a lot of creativity. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we almost sound frivolous, but I'd say we've both done a lot of different work and um, 
In fact, one of the most powerful things I did was in India last year, um, a tantric pulsation workshop for five days. <laughs> but it wasn't actually about sex at all. Yeah. But it is about the energy. And, um, and so much of that comes down to, you know, self-belief and self-worth and feeling deeply rooted in yourself. And it was very much a self exploratory thing and I often put myself in weird counterintuitive situations just to push my belief system and let me tell you I was extraordinarily uncomfortable going into that not knowing what Mm. to expect but actually it was one of the most beautiful experiences and it wasn't at all sexual. Was it it about connecting with your body? It was all about just connection and feeling and energy and flow Um, and yeah and I think that's the thing I mean Yes, we're talking about sex now, but the the conversation really is about just, you know, feeling worthy in anything, feeling worthy to have a conversation in an office with a man about this isn't okay for me. This is unacceptable behavior. This is a not negotiable. This is me. This is what I want. You know, you've got to be strong in the bedroom. No, actually, I've been faking for the, you know, this is not acceptable for me. Like, we have to find our voice. So I think that's the kind of rule is even what women are experiencing in general. Like this is not acceptable. Yeah. Whereas men are very happy to express their needs. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But also, I mean, oh God, I mean, I think, yeah. It is interesting how we as women can sometimes express ourselves. I think about an email, like we might write a, you know, six paragraphs about this is how, and they'll just be like, boom, yeah, ah, there's the thing. And so just find your voice. I think for all of us it, women, find your voice, you know, know what your belief systems are, know what your values are, know what you stand for, be resolute in that, make no apologies. So, you know, we started this conversation by saying, I don't identify with being a feminist because I just believe this is how it should be, you know. Mm. So just, yeah, be strong enough in yourself to find find your voice, I guess, across every every aspect of life. <laughs> I think it's happening and I think you can see a change and it's wonderful to see women actually shining and coming into themselves because I also think there's more creativity that's now occurring and things are changing because women are becoming at the helm of leadership. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it is all about, yeah, just being resolute and strong enough. And that's the beautiful work, I think, when I launched Collective Hub in 2013. I mean, the whole premise of the magazine and, you know, be it the magazine, online articles, me doing a speaking gig, writing a book, whatever it is. I mean, the whole thing is about igniting human potential, but it's about telling the story behind the story and being relatable and attainable and giving people permission to fly. And I have had so many people, you know, all over the place, like literally coming to me and bursting into tears and saying, I never felt good enough or I never felt strong enough or I never felt like I could do this. And, you know, collective or me through my writing or whatever have given me permission to do so because I've lived it before. And that's where I'm like, I'm going to keep using myself as a conduit just to go, just step into it you know just keep going keep going yeah so that's actually great because one of the aspects i wanted to talk about was about changing and evolving as a positive Mm. because with the closure of collective hub and with your newest book work from wherever and that feeling of change as a positive where i find in most people's lives they actually see it as a really big risk yeah and so what is that one piece of advice you would give women who are seeking to underchange who are seeking to undertake that in their lives yeah so um change can be you know, excruciatingly difficult. So I would say, and and particularly, I mean, you see it again in all aspects of life. Like if someone is working for a corporate and they've worked there and they've had a secure salary and the salary is quite good for a long time, like to actually jump out and, you know, we see this all the time. Oh, I work nine to five and I can't stand my job and, um, but the salary is great and I've got to meet certain bills and things. So you can make incremental change, you know, like start a blog on the side, start to do a side hustle, you know, test something a little bit. And then if it starts to stick, if it's something you're passionate about, um, there's a market for it and it makes some commercial sense, then you can, you know, test it and push it a little further until finally you're um, courageous enough to make the entire leap. And that same scenario can play out in all sorts of different aspects of life. I mean, I'm, you know, risk averse. I push things to the absolute 
you know, like nth degree in terms of <laughs> what I'm prepared to do now. And I'm very used to change and I very am very adaptable and I bounce forward very quickly. Um, but that is a learned muscle over, you know, many, many, many years of failing at many, many, many things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see change as a really good thing. I see it as inevitable. I mean, in this day and age, um, you know, it's the only consistent really is change things are changing all the time so I talk a lot about detachment from outcome and surrender in order to be able to step into these things yeah that's kind of perfect because I find that sometimes when people are wanting to be bigger live larger have a louder voice Mm. uh, that you can come under scrutiny from friends or just people around you. And something I wanted to touch on due to, and as you've shared, you have a large social media following, you are quite a public profile. Um, do you? How do you experience social media? Because for you, what has it been like and what do you feel we need to do to change that also the levels of toxicity that can occur when people are wanting to do different things? And you know, it seems everyone has an opinion that we should all be listening to. Uh, yeah, so I have a love-hate relationship with social media. <laughs> I... I I think it's, you know, it is a necessity in this world. Um, you know, the economy largely is around, you know, data. Is, you know, there's lots of things. You know, we use social media to express ourselves but also, you know, having large audiences helps to have a bigger voice and things. So it's kind of like um, my partner has two followers on social media, me and Kirsty <laughs> He's not into it at all, which I love. And he kind of thinks it's kind of ridiculous. Um, But now he's um, in high growth startup mode and he doesn't have a social media platform at all, not for Mm. his business, not for himself. And suddenly he's like, whoa, okay, this is really Can I get some tips, darling? (laughs) Can I get some tips? He's got 400 followers on his um, business account now and that's taken him about a year. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think... The reality of it is social media does give us a way to connect with a broader community. It does give us, you know, um, data. It gives us numbers. It gives us platform. It gives us voice, you know, all of that kind of thing. But it needs to be used in a responsible way, which Mm. brings me to my hate side of the equation, which is, you know, I think think it's extraordinarily toxic in many ways. And again, I think... I'm going to keep coming back to this. It's a theme throughout this conversation. It's around, you know, control or take control of what we can. And what Mm. we can control is, okay, how do I respond to this? Well, it's not all necessarily true. You know, we see people's best lives and what they want. People show the world what they want the world to see, you know, and we we need to take responsibility for realising, well, a lot of that isn't real and that's, you know, maybe aspirational and we can take that from it but actually you know is that just like one percent of their life and actually they're changing pooey nappies and they're you know doing the grocery shopping and they're fighting with their husband and someone just died and you know there's this whole other side of things um they're hemorrhaging cash whatever else is going on and so I just urge people to be really authentic and you know vulnerable and share as much of what's truly going on because I think that's the only way we really all help each other and lift each other higher is by you know being honest and and it's also very liberating I find it way easier just being honest and just being me and it's it's almost people will say oh that's so selfless wow you share so much I'm like it's actually quite selfish because yeah. I, <laughs> I feel really great when I'm like oh got that out of my system <laughs> do you do you ever worry about those close to you because you have such a public profile like with social media and the way that it can be used um because, um, for example, your partner isn't on your social media. No, that that is, is a deliberate decision I know you've made. My partner is not. Although this morning, but you'll see, this morning he's on, but he's back. I did. I saw that. I was like, oh, she's breaking, I, the, breaking no, the boundaries. No, but I only ever put his back. Um, because I had a previous relationship where it was very public with yes. both of us. And that was actually quite foul. Because, mm. um, because you know, I think whilst... It is my mandate to choose to live quite a public life to help other people. Um, I then go, well, does people do people knowing the intimate details of my partner and my relationship help them? No, it doesn't. And also, mm-hmm. I need to have some things that are sacred just for me. You know, that is my beautiful, safe, nurturing, just us time. You know, and yeah. it doesn't need for me. It doesn't need to be splattered everywhere. And also, um, with my previous partner, I found it 
excruciatingly difficult when we broke up and you know, everyone that, wanted to know that was every public detail enough. well you know i'm trying to deal with it personally well yeah. we were engaged and he it's well documented in breakups and breakthroughs but he walked out four days after we moved into our new home and was like can you take the dog for a walk don't think i can do this and like left and never saw him again i yeah. laugh about it now see bouncing forward yeah. <laughs> um, but but at the time it was like excruciating and I literally had people coming up to me on the street like bursting into tears going I can't believe you're not together anymore and I'm like F- I'm trying to process this yeah. I don't know how to process they this become yet. entitled to wanting to know all the details like they're yeah. there with you living it exactly and yeah. we do that to ourselves and so this time I've chosen not to live that part of my life publicly and it's delicious and beautiful and I mm. love him you know so much and yeah but it's not for public consumption <laughs> yeah no my uh, my wife actually deleted her social media for i think close to a year and a half maybe two years yeah and it was wonderful it actually made me stop and go what would i share on social media now that she's not here uh, so were you sharing her a lot well no like yeah of course like i'd put up pictures and stuff i never really like to do the like oh he and share all my like things that i just want to say to her privately and personally yeah. but it did make me share less about our relationship and then i started to like that yeah whereas yeah. now she got back on social media and she just uses it to troll me and make jokes Ah. (laughs) you know so there's a funny balance because she's also not someone who's all about sharing her private life in the public sphere and so it's made me because I'm quite open I'll tell it I'll answer most questions yeah and so she used to be like yeah but not everyone needs to know that just because you are happy and comfortable to share it yeah and you know what it's hard as well I think you said before about like family like people who don't understand this like um my partner is from a big Italian family and it's actually like we don't like some of the family follow me on social media and it's awful because they'll say to his mom who's not on social media oh Lisa was up to this or you know so if I threw my partner into that and it's also like oh I know exactly what they're doing like it's actually you got to be a little bit considerate of people who are your nearest and dearest who don't understand that Mm. world and don't necessarily want to be hearing you know, first-hand information from a third-party source. Yeah. You know. Or when you catch up with friends, they don't have any questions to ask you because they've been following along on social media and they're like, oh, I saw you went here and you're like, did I tell you that? Yeah. This is yeah. the thing. I actually, after doing... It's nice to have actual intimate real-life conversations that are, you know, save some stuff that is not on social media for the closest people in your mm. life. I think that's Definitely. Important. And I think it does kind of help to suffocate trolls. Yeah, I've been fortunate, touch wood. I mean, yeah, it, 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 I, it's interesting, the troll thing anyway. I've been fortunate to date. Um, I think I think I've only had one horrible experience and that was on another platform where people didn't have to put their names in and I think that should be illegal. Like if you're going to say something, then say it, you know. Yeah, to be able to stand by your opinion. Yeah, and a few people went a bit hard on something and I was like, Wow, you know, that's mm. but then I was like, you gotta let that wash over as well because it's like, well, if you can't come and say it to my face or, um, you know, actually have an, a name that you're writing from, mm. like, I'll respond to anyone and I'll answer any question. I'm such an open person, so I'm like, don't go me, like, come, come at me yeah. to my face, I'll answer anything you want. Ricky Gervais gives a great <coughs> example where he says, Everyone has an opinion, but not everyone's opinion have the same weight. And so he'll always say, let's say if there's someone who is... uh, It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. No, no, it's good. Okay. Um, He often says that, uh, let's say, and it's not to degrade homeless people at all, not at all, but he'll be like, if a homeless person yells out at me, hey, you're a total dickhead, he's like, okay, cool. Whereas if it's someone close to him who's like, hey, you're a total dickhead, he's like, they hold two different weights in my life. Mm. And so just because someone is sharing an opinion also take a moment to be like well what weight should they have in, yeah in anything that they're talking about yeah he's um he's one of the most controversial characters out there but i think he um i think he's extraordinarily clever and i mm-hmm. think he's extraordinarily fascinating and i think whilst he's not always or ever politically correct he really sheds some light on some kind of interesting stuff yeah he's he's certainly unafraid of what he says and what platform he says <laughs> most definitely all right so my final question yes you're standing in front of a room of ten thousand women you can offer one piece of advice what would you say anything is possible <laughs> bravo thank you so much lisa my absolute pleasure Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Modern Women. 
If this content is delivering value to you, it would be so helpful and appreciated if you head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher and rate and review us as that helps us build this incredible community. And ultimately, that is what this is all about, building this community as big as we can to help as many women as possible. And all of your ratings and reviews truly help with that. And before I go, a shout out to Chunky Love for the original music and to Mr. Darren Lake over at Podpace for helping me produce this show for all of you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 